Hello, welcome to history class after hours, uh, things your teacher didn't have time to teach you. Uh, today, I have Jack joining me, and I'm Joe, and uh, we're going to talk about Doc Holliday. How much do you know about Doc Holliday, Jack? Uh, I know very little. I know about the Tombstone movie and then his little house in Fayetteville that I've seen in a lot of All times. All right, yeah, so we, we brought a little bit more local. We did yeah. Dan Sickles first, and now we're bringing it kind of back to, to Georgia. Um, so the Western was a big part of American pop culture during the 50s and 60s. Kids dressed up as cowboys. Just about every day you could find a TV show that was a Western. Western movies were all over the place. John Wayne, who else were some other big ones? Clint Eastwood, all of those. And everybody would know the names of Billy the Kid, Wyatt Earp, Wild Bill, Calamity Jane, Buffalo Bill, Doc Holliday. Of all those names, how much do you know of those people? A good amount. A good amount. But how much do you think your classmates know about those people? Probably very little. Probably very little, okay? The Westerns kind of faded yeah. into oblivion. There was a little bit of a um, resurgence back in the late 80s, early 90s. You get movies like Young Guns, which were about, there's two of them, Young Guns 1 and 2, about Billy the Kid. Pretty good ones. Unforgiven, I believe, won an Academy Award. Um, Dance with Wolves, Wyatt Earp, Maverick, and then as you alluded to, Tombstone, which is often considered to be the best of all those. Um, so we're going to talk about Doc Holliday, once again, primarily just because he is from our backyard. Um, but what makes Holliday's story fascinating is he actually wrote very little, so there's not a whole lot of primary documents about him. Everything we know about Doc Holliday comes from secondary sources. So, it's hard to determine what's fact and what's myth in the story of Doc Holliday. Because there's people that say he did these things, but then there may not be a whole lot of evidence to support it. But where did these stories start? How did they get spread and things like that? Um, so Wyatt Earp, <coughs> who would be Holliday's best friend, and they kind of become the symbol of companionship, brotherhood, having one another's back, I would say this of Holliday. Although he sometimes drank three quarts of whiskey a day, he was the most skillful gambler and the nerviest, fastest, deadliest man with a six gun I ever saw. That is a glowing recommendation for you. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Good way to get a job. Okay. So we're going to start with his early life. John Henry Holiday was born on August 4th, 1851 in Griffin, Georgia. And the house is still there. So you could go visit it. And Griffin has the Doc Holiday days every year to celebrate one of their own, Doc Holiday. It's a festival. People dress up like cowboys and sell cowboy things. Um, his mom, Alice McKay, came from a wealthy aristocratic family. Uh, her family owned what was considered to be the largest plantation in Georgia. And give you a perspective of how large their plantation is. It started in Griffin and went all the way to Stone Mountain. <clears throat> so it was over 50 miles in length, the track size. Wow. Uh, his father, Henry Holliday, would be a veteran of several wars. He fought against the Creek in Georgia. Wonder if he had any contact with uh, Chief McIntosh, local to this area. He'd also fight with Zachary Taylor in the Mexican-American War. And there he would adopt an orphan in Mexico whose name was Francisco Hidalgo. 
Don't know what the backstory is behind that. Like, did he kill Hidalgo's parents? And I was like, come child, I'll be your father. Come home with me to Georgia. Like, I'd, I would love to know the backstory behind that one. Yeah. Well, uh, his dad wasn't really a um, big fan of slavery. So he did not want the family to continue in his wife's business venture. So they went and started a pharmacy in Griffin instead. Then Civil War breaks out. Uh, Holiday's dad would go join the Confederate Army, but after a year of fighting, he's like, I'm done. He just resigns his commission. He says, I'm done with this. I want nothing to do with this no more. And then goes back to Griffin. So as Sherman begins his march to Atlanta, Henry would move the family to Valdosta because he sees the writing on the wall. He sees Sherman coming down from Tennessee, yeah. and he sees him just destroying everything and pretty much says, we have to get out of here. Yeah. So they move farther south to Valdosta, which is right on the Florida border for the most part. Okay. And in Valdosta, he makes a pretty big name of, for himself. He becomes mayor a couple times. Um, man of high stature and status in Valdosta. But tragedy is going to strike the family in 1866 when Alice, so that's Doc Holliday's mother, dies of consumption. Do you know what that means? She drank too much? If we think, yeah, in today's yeah. terms, if we hear you died of consumption, we think you drank too much. Back then, it actually meant you died of tuberculosis. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> tuberculosis, nasty lung disease, pretty much you're just... You, you drown in your own blood. It's not, it's not a pleasant way to go. It's a long, kind of painful process. Well, Henry is then going to anger Doc when he remarries three months after the, the death of Doc's mother to a woman that was only eight years older than Doc. And this is going to put a strain on the relationship. Yeah. Also, they had a strain on, there was a strain going on the relationship because they kind of, had different opinions on the Civil War, Reconstruction, and things like that. <clears throat> so in 1872, he would earn a dental degree from the Pennsylvania College of Dental Surgery, and he would begin practicing in Atlanta. Shortly after that, though, he is also going to be diagnosed with tuberculosis. They believed he got it from his mother. And from this point on, he was given a very short life expectancy, and you're going to see kind of the psychological impact of that. If you're told you only have two years left to live, yeah. that's going to change the way you live your life. Yeah. And it definitely, you see this change in him. Um, so, so they didn't really have any treatment for TB back then. You know what they told you to do? What? Move to a drier climate. So you live in Georgia. Yeah. Does Georgia have a dry climate? No. No. It's, Very it's humid. humid and hot. Yeah. So where do you go for a drier climate? Uh, usually Texas. Texas. That's where he goes. Very good. He'll go to Texas first. He ends up moving to Dallas. He sets up a dental practice there, and he's going to win several awards for his dental implants. He specializes in different types of dental implants. The, the one that I found the most interesting was vulcanized rubber. What is even that? is that it's a rubber tooth i guess that but just imagine the taste of always having something rubber in your mouth yeah. probably not ideal no all right so but his business would begin to struggle primarily because of the impact of his tuberculosis one of the big symptoms of tuberculosis is you cough a lot because it's a lung ailment 
Yeah. Well, if you're a dentist and you're coughing a lot, what's going to happen? <laughs> you're getting it on your patient. You're going to be coughing on your patients. What's going to happen with your hands? Start getting shaky. They're going to get shaky and you're going to start tearing up the mouths of your patients. So the dental practice wasn't going so great for him at that point. What was the reason for moving to the Southwest though for the dry climate? Did they have any reason for it? Really? They just thought that it helped with the, your lungs. Hmm. Also higher altitude a lot too. Not so okay. you would see Colorado would have a lot of these tuberculosis kind of sanctuaries huh. where people would go. So in 1874, his practice disbands and he turns to his newfound interest, gambling, drinking, and gunfighting. And this is kind of the, the origin story of the myth of Doc Holliday. So his life in the Wild West, at a young age, Holliday would learn how to use a knife and a revolver from his adopted brother, Hidalgo. Remember, Hidalgo was the guy, the, the kid that his dad brought back from Mexico during the Mexican-American War. Um, Holiday himself was slim of stature, so he, he encouraged stories of his gun and fighting abilities. This is kind of one of those areas where it's, it makes sense that maybe a lot of these stories about Holiday was, were made up because he wanted them, being a, a, a gambler, constant fights breaking out at the poker table, things like that, and he wanted that image of him being like, unsteady, could snap at any moment, just so you wouldn't mess with him. Yeah. That's, that's what I think. Yeah. Um, so Batmasters, who kind of followed around with him and Wyatt Earp a lot, would say this of Doc Holliday, another glowing endorsement. Well, he never did anything to entitle him to a statue in the Hall of Fame. Doc Holliday was nevertheless a most picturesque character on the western border in those days when the pistol instead of law determined issues. Holiday had a mean deposition and an ungovernable temper, and under the influence of liquor was a most dangerous man. Physically, Doc Holiday was a weakling who could have been whipped by a healthy 15-year-old boy in a go-as-you-please fight. Wow. So probably his tuberculosis has taken a physical impact on him. That's why he's slim in stature, appears weak, and things like that. Um, so he eventually has to flee Dallas after supposedly shooting a very important person in January of 1875. Once again, though, there's no evidence to kind of collaborate that story. Um, when I was doing some of this research, one of the main documents I was using is the guy went back and looked at old newspaper clippings from right around the time all these holiday events occurred, and a lot of them he never saw any any articles or things like that written about him. So, who knows? What yeah, really so happened. like actually, who knows what actually happened? Yeah. So, in 1876, he was already known as the Deadly Dentist, partly because of self promotion. In one town, he allegedly killed a gambler, wounded two others, and killed a member of the 6th Cavalry. However, no records, once again, support these claims. Because you'd have to think if he killed a member of the 6th Cavalry, who would probably be going after him? Custard? Or, I don't know. Federal government. Oh, yeah. They just killed a soldier. Federal soldier, okay. yeah. So he made it to Denver in the winter of 1876, and that's where another myth is going to form. Uh, he was drawn into a fight with a local gunfighter whose name was Buddy Ryan. Not Buddy Ryan, Bud Ryan. Buddy Ryan <laughs> was a defensive coordinator and coach in the NFL. <laughs> Go Bears. Um, but before Ryan could draw, how they would pull a knife and horribly maim Ryan. So pretty much they're like standing ready to go for a duel and before Ryan could pull out his pistol, 
Holiday just comes after him with a knife and like slashes up his face. And they bandage him back together and he survives. Earp and Masterson will help spread this tale. So he's kind of got his own like promotion squad following him. He would then move on to Wyoming, where once again it was rumored he'd killed three more men in gunfights. However, there's no evidence to support these claims. Then he is going to have uh, his... The the moment that kind of will bring him together with Wyatt Earp, which will be his companion throughout most of his life. So in 1877, at Fort Griffin in Texas, Holiday is going to become friends with legendary Western lawman Wyatt Earp after helping him track outlaw Dave Rudabaugh. Dave Rudabaugh, sometimes called Arkansas Dave Rudabaugh. If you've ever seen the uh, Young Guns 2, Dave Rudabaugh is in there. He kind of follows around with Billy the Kid for a little bit. Um, Holiday would say this of Rudabaugh. He's an ignorant scoundrel. I disapprove of his very existence. I considered ending it myself on several occasions, but self-control got the better of me. Eventually, Rudabaugh is going to escape into Mexico as he's fleeing the law and he's going to get in a bar fight there he's going to get killed and then they chop off his head and parade it around town so he's not very well liked in Mexico either around this time though uh, Holiday supposedly killed another man named Ed Bailey Bailey supposedly pulled a revolver on Holiday during a poker game because Bailey was sifting through discards so if you don't know a lot about poker they played primarily five card and you throw you discard cards as you get cards well, Bailey was looking through those cards to try to see if Holiday was bluffing or not. And then it, it finally comes in head where Holiday bets, Bailey folds, Holiday doesn't show his cards, and then Bailey picks them up and looks at them anyway, which is a big no-no in poker. So once again, Holiday uses the knife. He knifed him before he could get a shot out. And at this point, a lynch mob is going to form um, to get Holiday, but he is able to escape. He's going to say that throughout his life, he had seven lynch mobs after him, and he escaped every single time. Wow. Uh, and around this time, he is going to f- uh, find a female companion. Her name is Big Nose Kate. She is Hungarian. She's also a dancer, a prostitute, and an entrepreneur. She's said to be tough, stubborn, and fearless. So kind of same personality as old Doc Holliday. Yeah. But if you have two people with those personality traits, what's probably going to happen between both of them? Your butt heads. They're going to butt heads a lot, yeah. So supposedly Kate helped him escape that lynch mob. She would set fire to a barn, which distracted the mob. She then supposedly entered the jail with two revolvers, terrified the jailer, and broke Holliday out. The two of them would mount horses and then ride to Dodge City, Kansas. Once again, this is where Doc starts up another dental practice. He's like, let's get back in the dental game. Let me settle down a little bit. However, once again, there's no evidence to really collaborate this story. But it's gotten out somehow. Somehow it's spread, but there's no evidence to really support it. In Dodge Sale, not Dodge Sale, Dodge City, a tale arose how Holiday saved Earp's life. So Wyatt Earp is going to start moving. He kind of follows these gold rush towns and things like that. And one of his jobs he normally takes, he's a prospector, but one of his side jobs is he's typically like a sheriff or a deputy, a lawman in these towns. And one of the big laws he normally institutes is that no firearms are allowed in city 
city premises and you have to check them in as you enter the city. He's, he's trying to avoid gunfights and things like that. Huh. So Irpin instituted a law that all firearms had to be checked in. Two Texas cattlemen, part of a posse of 25, began taunting Earp and were about to shoot him. Saying, we're not handing in our guns. Come get them, Earp. Woo! Pew, pew, pew. Think of the old Western cowboy scenes. Um, at this point, Holiday supposedly jumps in with two revolvers. The distraction allowed Earp to pistol whip the cattlemen. Then ordered all the cattlemen to shed their weapons. All in all, they'll collect about 50 firearms. So that means each cattleman was probably carrying two pistols on them. Once again, though, there's no evidence to collaborate with the story. So by the end of 1879, Holiday would be on his way to Las Vegas, New Mexico. Not Las Vegas, Nevada. On his way there, he would supposedly kill four more men in Colorado and another in Las Vegas. Another supposed conflict in Las Vegas was, was, was with a guy named Charlie White. How they had run into White in Dodge City and told him if he ever saw him again, he would kill him. Well, as he goes into uh, Las Vegas, New Mexico, he goes into a hotel and who happens to be bartending there? White. Uh, the two men faced each other and began shooting. They, sh they shot and shot and shot with no one scoring a hit. Finally, Charlie White is down. But, what had, but White had not been killed, only stunned. When he gained his senses, he packed his belongings, went back to Boston, and never came west again. This was from Masterson. Once again, though, there is no evidence to collaborate the story. But it came from somewhere. We've got to try to figure out what's truth and what's not here. From there, he would stop in Prescott and win a bunch of money playing poker. But eventually, he'd have to leave Prescott probably because no one liked him, and he would move on his way to Tombstone and meet back up with the Earps. I think that is a good place to stop part one here of Doc Holiday. Um, so thank you for listening. If you found this interesting, please join us for part two when we talk about his time in Tombstone, the Earp Vendetta ride, and then his fall from grace if he had grace i don't know if that's proper terminology but there you go dot com thank you for tuning in to history class after hours the show where we talk about the things your history teachers didn't have time to teach you if you wanted to stay updated on upcoming events for the history club please visit www.starsmillhistoryc.wixsite.com forward slash 2020. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends and subscribe to our channel on iTunes Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be on the lookout for new episodes, and we'll be posting every week. Until next time, stay curious.